Um, all right, so I'm in 1 Samuel. I think I'm at the end of, um, I am at the end of chapter 6 here. Um, if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. Uh, it brought havoc upon the Philistines, and so they said, send it off. They put it on a cart. They said, please, just get it out of here. They sent it to him in verse 13 of chapter 6. They sent it to the city of Beth Shemesh, who were out in the field reaping um, when the cart came up. Now, um, oops, got the wrong one. There we go. Um, here's a judgment passage. Um, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant shows up on the cart, um, and they didn't follow the law in taking it off the cart. What they did after that, they didn't, they didn't follow it. They said the um, Levites took down the Ark of the Lord and the box that was in it. They opened it. They put the, put the articles in it on a large stone, kind of set them up. Um, there was golden tumors, verse 17, um, one for each of the cities. And in 19, the Lord strikes down some of the men at Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the Ark of the Covenant. So here were the Levites um, who had instructions from the very beginning, don't touch and don't look. And it's a very special, um, once a year, the high priest goes in. You remember the routine here, um, and they didn't follow it. And so um, they were struck down, and they have this phrase um, in chapter, verse 20 of chapter 6, Who is able to stand before the Lord who is this holy? That we, that we can't um, look or touch or, um, and we have, it brought again judgment upon Beth Shemesh. Um, let me stop there. Thoughts on that? Questions? So I have a passage that I frankly, um, I, I didn't find but thought of it today in church. Um, in the New Testament, there's this troublesome passage that I don't know what to do with that says if you eat communion, I forget the phrase, um, with a bad heart, inappropriately, etc. Some of you are sick and some of you have gone to sleep. Some of you have passed away. And it raised a question for me as I'm sitting there kind of mulling over what we're going to talk about today. Um, and then I thought some churches have closed communion. So unless they know you are a believer according to their standards, traditions, etc., they say we, you can't participate in our, our fellowship, our Eucharist, our communion. And I think it probably comes from that. I wonder if there's a lot. I'm drawing a line here. I wonder if there's a line between the holiness of God to be exercised appropriately up to our Eucharist, our communion of God, to the practices of Orthodox, I mean, a number of fellowships. Um, what do you think? We don't do that. We have open communion. We offer it and allow anyone to come. I think it's addressed to an individual, so the individual has to make the choice. 
and they have to do it appropriately or not appropriately. So the individual makes a judgment on whether um, uh, taking communion to participate. I'm good with that. But. All right, just a question. I don't have an answer. I wish I had looked it up and had the answer. It just struck me that there's, we don't have as much of the ritual in the New Testament, but then this troublesome passage of um, a warning, a caution um, of tasting and touching the presence of God. How about that? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm not sure we could create a criteria. I'm not sure we have an expector general of appropriate communion-taking behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah, we wouldn't have the standard to do that. You're right. I agree with that. But it just struck me that um, maybe there is, because the issue with the ark was it was the presence of God. Um, and later we're going to learn about David's guys who reached their hand out and caught the ark, and they got struck down. Um, just wondered. Raise the question. Right. Unworthy manner. <clears throat> Un what, say it again. Unworthy manner. Un an unworthy manner. If you take communion in an unworthy manner. But that was in the context of much disorganization. People were coming in drunk and taking communion. People were taking communion first and not in other people. And there was apparently a lot of disorder in the congregation. Yeah, it wasn't a ritualistic standard that they had violated, but it was a behavioral standard they had violated. Yeah. I had another? Larry? Yeah, I, if, if you just, you know, when you read Leviticus, which is just really hard to read and all that, you just see all the detail that God told them. I mean, you know, how you move it, how you care for it. Yeah. Where you put it. Cover it. They had to cover it when they put it, transport it. Yeah. Transport, when you march out, march in. They just... I mean, he was serious about that detail, and, you know, later on when he talked about the guy touching it, that was all about them not moving it the right way. They didn't have the poles on it. They put it on the ox cart. Yeah, yeah. So God's like, I told you I had to move this. Yeah. Don't put it on the ox I'm, I've decided I'm glad I'm not the HR guy who has to write those job descriptions. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. Terry, I, I would suggest that, that what you're talking about with regard to this Corinthians chapter communion is what the eldership had to deal with in a sense when we first began to I guess put in quotes allow singing during the communion process mm. because there was some do you not recall there were some who were concerned about that because that was not I do recall that was because it says um, A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. And there were those who were concerned if we were singing. We were disrupting that examination. That's right. And that was an issue. Yeah. I think when when you were an elder. It was. It was before. Uh, I went to several lunches. Huh? I went to several lunches around that <laughs> issue in particular. That was, that, and there, were, there was serious concern about that. I mean, that was a real issue. When yeah. We first started doing that. Yeah, that's right. It was disruptive. They They were. They were in their meditative, contemplative examination, and that was um, taking their mind away from that. Mm -hmm. All right, other thoughts? All right, so Beth Shemesh says, okay, we're sending it on. And so they sent it. 
um, at the beginning of chapter 7 to Kiriath-Jerim. Um, they came and they took the ark and stayed there 20 years. Um, so it went to their town. Um, so then Samuel came and preached. Um, he spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with your heart, to, and, and there's two sides to this, stop this and do this. And so he says, um, if you return to the Lord with all of your heart, remove the foreign gods. Stop that. The Ashtaroth um, from among you, and two, do this, direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him, him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And they did it. We have a spirit of revival. They removed the Baals, the Ashtoreth poles, they served the Lord alone. Then Samuel says, all right, meet me at Mizpah. And they gathered at Mizpah. They drew water. They poured it out. They fasted for a day. Uh, and they confessed, we've sinned against the Lord. Um, and when the Philistines heard they'd gathered, there must have been a rule. I'm, I'm guessing a rule. I'm guessing the Philistines said, we rule over you. And you cannot gather. You can't bring an army together. You can't have a large gathering of people together. We're not going to tolerate that. And so the Philistines heard that they'd gathered at Mizpah, and they came together. Um, they said, this isn't going to work. We're coming after you um, when it comes to um, gathering. It's too much risk there. And so you see here the battle here. Samuel cries out to the Lord. Um, he says, um, Samuel was offering up a burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to them for battle. There was thunder, and they were routed before Israel. And here's where we get the word Ebenezer. Um, and Ebenezer says, mine says, thus far the Lord has helped us. Now, I haven't been able to find whether that's um, drawing a line in the sand and saying up to this point in space, or if it's up to this point in time. He's been with us. Um, but it's a, uh, it, it says what it is. Mine says, um, let's see, verse 12 uh, means the stone of help. It's what the Ebenezer means. Uh, I'm a New American Standard guy. So, um, All right, thoughts on um, bringing the ark home? Now Samuel's ministry is about to come to a close. In verse 15, he's judged Israel all the days of his life. Um, he would go and travel around. Ver chapter 8, he was old. He appointed his sons, but his sons were ne'er-do-wells. You know, you know uh, just those verses in 16 particularly said he went from year to year in circuit. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up in my area of in Alabama, when I was growing up, judges were called circuit judges. And it brought back the old uh, judge riding on a horse that he went around. But he's judging. He is solving typically civil disputes. Yeah. And again, that just brings out, here are the people of God. <laughs> and they have a lot of civil disputes that he has to go around and settle all. And, you know, Moses was having to settle civil disputes among the people. Yeah, all around. the time. All the time. And yeah. Is it so difficult for people to live peacefully together? Because you got your dog on my yard, or your kids 
breaking down my tomato vines or yeah. You know, it's, it's something all the time. Now don't talk about my dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. We got a fence now. <laughs> it's because of those. Well, never mind. Um, Yeah, um, yeah, my thought, um, and I read a couple of people that um, thought this way and I liked it, was the Philistines was a demonstration that God was sovereign over Dagon and he was the only one God. And so you get all that, you get that story of Dagon bowing before um, the first time and the second day being executed head cut off, hands cut off, just like they did with kings that had been conquered. Um, and so the, the, the message there, the point was, um, I, am, I am Yahweh, I'm God. And for his people it was that they didn't um, have, they didn't respect him and follow Torah um, in the, um, the honoring and the glorifying. We're going to hear that in a minute when we start talking about kingship and that they're rejecting him along the way. So I think there's judgment coming back on Israel in a similar but dissimilar way. I mean, I think the message is different. I want your devotion um, uh, when it comes to the ark there. That's kind of how I would distinguish, but I think it's all a period of judgment, both external and internal. And we get that in the New Testament, and I, I I mean, you know that it says, I'm going to judge my house first and more severely. Um, and so I think there's both sides. I mean, think of the, the throne in the book of Revelation. And I mean, we're going to get, I, I used to read a guy named Francis Schaeffer years and years and years ago. And he said, imagine this in Romans 2, imagine this, you've got a tape recorder hanging around your neck and every judgment you make is the standard by which you will be judged. I don't know about you, but I'm in deep trouble because <laughs> uh, I'm a critical guy. Um, and so the, and, there, and therefore, you see all the New Testament, especially the early Romans there, talks about that you'll be held accountable for the, just how you lived. That's how you'll be judged and evaluated. And therefore, everybody's guilty. So it's not a matter of knowing um, did you read the Bible or did you, etc.? It's everybody will be judged by the standard that they used others to judge. And the church first is there. So that's how I kind of see that. What do you think? Thought-provoking. Yeah. Paul. Every time I see this passage or hear about this passage, the image comes to mind of that last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And how serious. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I and I don't think that's an accident. I mean, mm -hmm. the film was made by uh, Steven Spielberg. I think the long tradition in Jewish thought has been that is what that's about. Yeah. And I, I the, 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 the um, I've lost his name, the hero, um, Car Harris, Harris Ford, Harrison. knew the story. And so he's telling the people around him, cover your eyes, don't look. 
I mean, he knew the rules. Um, so I like that portrayal, that, uh, mm. what a powerful portrayal, um, that this, there's a reality here. And You know, part of this, we're reading the Bible, and, and we're, we're primarily dealing with the people of God. It's the unfolding story of redemption. But God is still dealing with everybody else. He, yeah. He didn't abandon all of other creation. And so you don't know how much the Philistines still knew. I mean, they obviously knew the story of the people coming out of Israel. New Egypt, yeah. Out of Egypt, yeah. They knew all that. And he expects the same respect out of them as he does the Israelites. Yeah, uh, I think he does. Um, yeah, I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Other thoughts? Okay, so um, I want to... Uh, the theology of Israel, as we look at these battles, um, I hate to draw a line, so I'm not going to draw a line, um, is it's spiritual, divine, divine, um, earthly, um, of human that are somehow integrated. So when a battle is won, who gets the credit? God gets the credit. Um, or at times people go back to God and say, uh-oh, what happened? What did we do? Where did we, why are we failing here? Um, the same thing is happening in this description of battles with the Philistines. Samuel goes, he goes, he cries out in chapter 7, verse 8, cries out to the Lord that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines, and he does. He sends thunder. Causes confusion. The Israelites drive them out. There's a great victory. They set up Ebenezer as a, a reminder. So far, he's with us. He's with us. But there's this connection here. Um, Thunder, rain sometimes, confusion. Um, uh, I'm going to jump over here. This is another one of those passages I have never really understood, but I'll take a shot. In Daniel chapter 10, yeah, way back. And I won't read all of this for time's sake, but Daniel, the, the angel comes to Daniel and says, Oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understands the words I'm about to tell you. Daniel had been praying for understanding. And then he says to me, Don't be afraid, Daniel, for on the first day you set your heart on trying to understand. From day one, when you start praying to me, when you start calling on me to show me what all this meant, um, and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I'm here. However, verse 13, chapter 10 of Daniel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was holding me back for 21 days. So here's this theology in the Old Testament of um, there's some spiritual prince over the country of Persia holding back the angel from getting to Daniel to respond to his prayer. And I think it's the same kind of theology we see in, in Samuel. Whoever wrote Samuel, it's, it's, this is not just, a, this, is, this is Josh's sermon, this is not just a physical battle that we're having with the Philistines. We are calling on God to overcome Dagon. 
um, they believe it's real. And I have to tell you, I don't think they're just superstitious, ignorant people. I think they're people of faith that believe there's a reality of both spirituality and, and physical, um, that there's this struggle going on. That there's a, a prince of Persia, there's a prince of Philistia. I mean, that this is a bigger battle than just that. And so leaving God out of it leaves them handicapped in some ways. So anyway, just a thought, thoughts, questions, comments. Bob. Yep, we are in trouble, um, probably for lots of reasons, um, but yeah, we are. I, heard a, I read a writer once that said, um, when you look at the religions of the world, the faiths of the world, the powers of the world, however you want to say that, um, Christianity makes people human better than any of the others. And what he meant by that was he, he makes them good, it makes them just. Uh, it makes them loving. It makes them forgiving. It makes them human. It gives them a reason and a strength to be human more than any other faith or religion in the world. And that's always stuck with me. I thought, I think that, well, it's because we're created in the image. And if we get off of that image path, you're right. We're in trouble. I think it is, um, it's easier to get off track than we realize. I think that's true. A lot of people find a switch. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I got to get to Samuel. I only have 12 minutes. Um, all right, so at the beginning of 8, um, we've just beat the Philistines in battle. Um, Samuel is old, and so... The elders come to, I'm in verse 4 of chapter 8, the elders come to Samuel at Ramah, his home, and they say to him, you're old and your sons are ne'er-do-wells. We need another plan. And so he says to them, appoint, the elders say to Samuel, appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. We want to be like the nations. And so... Um, one, um, one reading I had said there are several, they think several reasons going on. Um, one is there wasn't a good succession plan for judges. Um, if you think back, Eli, terrible sons. Uh, now Samuel's sons, um, and there's, there's just not a, a good flow of who's next, and are, have they been trained well and prepared for this job, etc. Two, they wanted to be like the nations. They wanted to be a, a country status and not tribal status. Um, two is they wanted a better military. Look at uh, verse 20 in chapter 8. 
Um, we want to be like the nation so our king can judge us and can go out before us and fight our battles. We need an army. We need, we need protection here. Um, uh, we need a national government, uh, both chapter uh, 8, chapter, verse 5 and verse 20, and be like the other nations. But ultimately, the reason is they didn't want to be ruled by God. I mean, that's really the reason. Now, this guy didn't add one, but I'll bet there was a political struggle here, too. I'll bet with Samuel's aging and no sons to replace him, there's a vacuum of power. And there were some guys, later we're going to hear about some troublemakers. My guess is there are people trying to grab power here. Um, there was probably a lot going on. Um, and so Samuel is ticked. Samuel is hurt by it. Samuel then says, um, I'm down here. Give us a king. Um, this is dis chapter 8, verse 6. This was a very displeasing thing to Samuel. He didn't like it at all. He knew what this was really about. So he says, but I'll go to the Lord. And the Lord says to Samuel, do it. So there's my question. Why do you think God granted them their request? He did not force anyone to do what they're supposed to do. That's true. He let he gave them it left them in their um, ability to choose and there they wanted to do it and so off they went. So there had to be a little bit of uh, I mean the prophecy foretold of Jesus being out of the line of David the king you know the king you know so that was there had to be some person that he's already thinking that it wasn't like. So if he did, if he said no, where's Jesus going to come from? Yeah, what's he get? He's got a, yeah. So it's, it's in his plan. He's setting up this uh, picture of a king, which Jesus would then fulfill. And so he had to get to kingship. Started. Started, yeah. He had to plant the seed. He had to teach. Um, that's right. He had to create the picture. Of, so let me, let me draw that uh, parallel. To me, God has not changed. And so things he does in the Old Testament are a reflection of what we see in the New Testament. Just the way he works. The tabernacle is a picture of our worship. I mean, it just is. And so there's a pattern given to us. Uh, God reveals himself in the things on earth. He just does. And so we can look back and say, oh, now I see it coming. I saw where that came from. Kingship is going to be one of those. We're going to get to Jesus, and we're going to look back, and we say, "Oh, no, nah, yeah, this is what he had. This is who he is, and where that came from, and the progress." He describes here is totally the opposite of Jesus. He's not good. Yeah, yeah. He will take from you. He will rule you. He will take your slaves. children, your yes. daughters, all your all sorts of things. You'll regret this. He's going to take your land. We as, we as children of the king don't regret our king. That's right. Yeah. So why did he do it? First of all, let me make a point. I don't think Saul was a good choice and then fell away. I think he was rotten from the beginning. I mean, he didn't know who Samuel was, and Samuel lived five miles from his house. So he's lost the donkeys. He's out looking around, and, and his assistant had to say to him, you know, there's a guy over here. 
who can probably help us find those silly donkeys? I mean, um, and so I'm not sure he was, uh, had a falling away. Um, in 10.6, then the Spirit of the Lord will, will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy to them and be changed into another man. He did. It says that. I don't know. I don't know. There is. I'm wondering if there is some. Um, he he. Um, so let me let me jump. Six minutes. This is terrible. Romans one. Romans one has this um, somewhat difficult, but somewhat startling picture of God's judgment. You go to start in verse 18, somewhere down in there. He says, um, God has shown himself evidently to everybody. And the essence of it is, without going down through it, is God gave them what they wanted, the desires of their heart, and the consequences with it. And I'm wondering if this judgment is not what's going on through Saul. I'm giving you what you want. I'm giving you Saul, and you're going to get the consequences for rejecting me. Remember, the, uh, the ultimate reason this is happening is they don't want me to be their king. And so he's saying, to, I think, wonder if he's saying that Romans 1, and I, um, what says, oh, he gives them up is the phrase. He gives them up to what they wanted, um, and they didn't give him a king. If you contrast Saul with the judges, God looked at them. He knew what he wanted from them. He looked inside them. Some of them, it doesn't really say anything. A couple of them, it says they were great warriors. One of them, it just says he was left-handed. Um, you had a female in there. You had someone else like Gideon, who was the least of his family from the least of the tribe and real insecure. But he knew what he wanted in each of these. In this situation, it says he was a head taller and really impressive. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Which I have to tell you, I've longed for all my life. <laughs> I'm just saying. Which part of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's shifting from, okay, if you're not going to trust me to be the king and this is going to be my judge that's going to be my interceder, then and you want a king to take over, but you'll, you'll get what you think is important. Yeah, and that's what I'm wondering is going on here. I'm wondering if he's not saying, you're rejecting me and I'm going to give you just what you're asking for. Um, and there'll be judgment with that that comes. You know, any parent with, with a child can, can nag you to the point that you're exasperated. Yeah. And you say, okay, I'm going to give you what you want, and when you're sick, I don't want you to come back complaining to me. Yeah. You know, you yeah. just go ahead. you got to figure it out for yourself. I'm going to yeah. let you have all, all the candy you want. Yeah. It's the prodigal son story. It is the prodigal. That's right. It is. And um, 10 verse 9, it talks about God changing Saul's heart and the spirit of the God coming, spirit of God coming upon Saul. But then as we, I mean, as we clearly read on, um, the, you know, Saul did not follow God. Yeah. He did he, not rely on God to equip him. He ended up making excuses. Yeah, so, we'll, we'll see down the road. Yeah. You, I, I don't, I don't think that was God's choice. Yeah, the Patrick, the, the things I read said that the Spirit did come upon him as a demonstration to him that this was from God. So 
he met the people on the road, he got the, he prophesied, he, there were like three of them, um, and that, that it was more directed at him. Um, but that, right, in fact, the people, the, his buddies, let me find it. Yeah, verse 11 of chapter 10, it came about when the people who knew him previously saw him prophesy, saying, says, what happened to him? What's going on? Um, this, done, we, this isn't the guy we know. Is he among the prophets now? And, I, and, then, and the un understanding on this verse 12 says, so who is their father? Evidently, prophets came from prophets. And so there was a question about his dad isn't a prophet. What's this, you know, I'm not sure what, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't the Saul we know. So I'm not sure. That is the encouraging thing. Yep. All right, two minutes. Let's see what I got. I think it's interesting, too, that no one came and asked if we can build the tower. Yeah. So it's gone forever after this point. Yeah. It's in this guy, the ark is in the guy's basement for 30 years. So David gets it back. Yeah, that's right. It's, they want a king, but no one wants to build the house of God back. It is. I, I, I really think there's, there's more here than we have in the, in the document we have going on here that was a rejection of God. Um, and so the, there was no more, another, no one another tabernacle. It was just, they were doing their own thing. I do think there was a, a power grab and um, they wanted to be like everybody else. All right, I don't have time. Um, the next thing I want to talk about was prayer. So I'm gonna, I'll find another excuse to bring that up um, the next time up, up here. So let's close with a prayer. Uh, Lord God Almighty, uh, we do pray that, as Paul did, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to you. That you'd use your word to teach us, comfort us, and correct us. And we pray through Jesus. Amen. Thank you.